want to pray for a moment because, you know, we know at the Oasis we have a wonderful Bible teacher in Pastor Jeff. We appreciate him and his wife, Lisa. I also appreciate the opportunity to speak with you today. But you can have the best teacher in the world and get nothing out of it. Do you realize that? Think of Jesus walking the face of the earth and people didn't get anything out of it. So it's a matter of our hearts. So as I begin to share what I feel the Lord's placed on my heart, I want to again pray. Yeah, I am kind of a prayer machine. I like to do that. But I, pr- I believe that prayer changes things, and the thing that it changes the most is me. And so I want to pray for a moment. I really struggled about what I would share today, and that's kind of interesting for a veteran pastor because every pastor always has something to say. Do you ever notice that? We always have something to say. We always have opinions. We, we need to say, cut. But I want to pray. I believe the Lord has given me a message. For some, maybe it will seem a little hard. I don't know. I don't know where you're at spiritually. I don't know how this year has been for you. If I step on your toes, I'm sorry. Get over it. <laughs> and for those of you who appreciate what I'm going to say, I hope this is a blessing for you. Let's pray now. Again, our hearts are the soil. I'm going to start scattering the seed. It will be dependent on the condition of your soil in order for what gets down there and gets into your heart. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this opportunity. I thank you for your love. You have been so good. You have been so great to me. And I assume you've been so great to everyone that's here. And Lord, sometimes we don't give you your proper place in our lives. Sometimes we just want to have you as a little magic genie to do what we want you to do. But Jesus, I proclaim today you are Lord of all the earth. You are the Lord of lords. You are the King of kings. You are the mighty God. I thank you. I thank you, Father, for sending Jesus. And I pray, Father, that all of our hearts would be open today. I pray that the soil of our hearts would be pliable, fresh, open. I pray, Lord, that each one of us will approach this time with a sense of, I want to hear what God wants to say to me today. And even as I'm speaking, you know, the Holy Spirit will speak to you something. And just listen. It's kind of interesting whenever there's a sermon, people get different things out of it. You ever notice that? People talk about a sermon and they say, I like this point, that point. I don't remember that. I remember this. So, Father, I pray that you touch every heart. Lord, I pray against any oppression that would keep people back today. Father, I ask you to send angels even into this place to be with us. And I pray, Holy Spirit, most of all, that you would give me the right words to speak. And I pray that you would give every one of us a receptive heart. Amen. Now, as you know, I teach for a couple of universities, so I'm very familiar with thesis statements. Any of you know what a thesis statement is? 
It's basically what you're going to uh, address, what you're going to deal with. If I were to write a thesis statement for what I'm going to share today, it would be basically this. The year is at an end. Another one is quickly springing up, only a couple of days. And I want to ask, was this year a year of abiding in the Lord and accomplishing His will? Or do I need to make some adjustments so that the coming year will be a year of growth and fruitfulness? So it's a time of self-evaluation. I think that's appropriate for the end of a year, don't you think? We think back. I'm going to use as my starting scripture Ephesians 5, verses 15 to 18. So if you have your Bible, take that out. If you have your laptop, PC, I don't know, tablet, phone, whatever, take it out. Ephesians 5, verses 15 to 18. And I'm going to be reading from the NIV translation. You'll get the sense of it. Perhaps you're using another translation. But I want to share those verses with us. And I really feel the Lord told me to share these verses. So make sure you pay attention to them and see what he's saying to you. It says, Be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Very powerful couple of verses. I'm kind of break that, going to break that down for us a little bit. And there's several exhortations contained in those couple of verses. And they are exhortations. They're not suggestions. Sometimes we take the words of the Bible as suggestions. They're not suggestions. They're exhortations. And we're going to look at them and see what we need to do to keep on track for the coming year. First of all, I want to make a point our time, on lo- our time on earth is very limited. In Psalm 39, verse 4, the psalmist said, Show me, O Lord, my life's end and the number of my days. Let me know how fleeting is my life. And then in Psalm 90, 10, it says, The length of our days is 70 years or 80 if we have the strength. They quickly pass and we fly away. Now, for younger people, 70 or 80 years seems like a long time. But it really isn't. Talk to any old person, like myself, or maybe the person sitting next to you. Talk to any old person, and you will realize that time goes by very quickly. As you look back, you say, where did the time go? And we look back at this year, and we say, where did that year go? And so Paul tells us to be very careful how we live, because our time is very limited. You may think, oh, I'll serve the Lord and do a lot of great things, 
when I get a little bit older. Right now I'm kind of busy with my thing. But the problem is no one of us has a guarantee of one more day. Do you realize that? And we will stand before the Lord if we know Jesus Christ as Savior. Of course, we will go to heaven. We'll stand before Him. Hell isn't an option for someone who truly accepts Jesus Christ as Savior. But we will stand before Him and give an accounting of what we did with our lives, what we accomplished. Jesus was telling parables about the talents and talking about the workers. A lot of people think, well, they're just stories. They're stories that Jesus used to convey spiritual truth to us. Each one of us has been given so many years. I don't know how many more years I have. I don't know how many more years you have. We have no guarantee that we have even one more day. Does that kind of jerk us back and give us an awareness of what we should be thinking? So we have no guarantee our time on earth is limited. Secondly, I believe Paul is saying to us that we basically have the mind of Christ. We have His Word. We have the indwelling Holy Spirit. Isn't that good news? If you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. The Holy Spirit is God. He's not the force from Star Wars. He is God, and He lives inside of us. A lot of people say, oh, I wish I lived when Jesus walked the earth. He said, no, it would be better for you if I go away, because God Himself will come live inside of you. And He'll prompt you, He'll teach you, He'll guide you. And so we have the mind of Christ. We have the indwelling Holy Spirit who brings things to our mind. How many of you know what I'm talking about? He'll even bring scriptures to your mind. If he doesn't bring scriptures to your mind, maybe your Bible library is a little empty. But the more we study his word, the more the Holy Spirit is, a, is able to apply scripture verses to our situation and what we're going through. So we have the mind of Christ. We have the word of God. We have the indwelling Holy Spirit, God himself. Jesus said he would teach us. He would lead us. He would guide us into all truth. And he would remind us of everything that Jesus said. Now, how we live should be very different than people who do not know the Lord. Now, I'm not talking about being weird. We've all been a little weird at times. But our lives should be a little bit different. Our priorities should be different. How we spend our time should be different. We need to be careful how we live, as Paul tells us. Not merely like people of the world, or according to a worldly system of values, because Paul exhorts us in another scripture passage, Romans 12, verse 2, one of my favorite verses. It says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Begin to see things through God's eyes. Begin to see situations through God's eyes. Begin to truly see what is important. 
Because one day all this is going to pass away. And we'll see what is the true reality when we stand before Jesus. And when we accepted Jesus Christ as Savior, assuming you did, we became God's special possession. We became His family. We became His chosen people. We became a kingdom of priests to minister unto Him. The last part, that's why I was basically making a point about worship. I'm called to minister unto Him, to bless Him, to praise Him. Amen? But we don't live like everybody else in the world because we're not like everybody else in the world. If we truly understand salvation, Jesus took us from the world, the kingdom of darkness, and brought us into the kingdom of light. And He wants to show us a whole new way of living. He wants to give us a whole new perspective. And so, as we end up this year and look forward to another one, I just want to remind us that maybe we need to make some adjustments. Maybe we haven't been thinking too much. Maybe we've just been on autopilot and living just the way everyone else does. Again, I'm not saying get weird on us, but I'm saying really love the Lord, do what the Word of God says, because we are His family. We are His special possession. We are His chosen people. We are a kingdom of priests to minister unto Him. Many people have the mistaken idea that when you come to the Lord, you ask Him to bless your life. And you continue on doing your thing. How many of you know what I'm talking about? A lot of people think Jesus is an add-on. It's good to have Him like my Aleve in the medicine cabinet or, you know, some of the other things I have to help me. But the thing is, God didn't come to bless your life. God came to give you a new life. And that's what He did. We're new creations. Actually, in the book of Ephesians, when they talk about who we are in Christ, it says, basically, we are a new species. Did you ever realize that? We become a new creation. We become a different species. That's kind of wild, isn't it? And so Jesus doesn't come into our lives to bless our lives. He gives us a new life. I know that better than anyone else because I lived in Manhattan. I worked on Wall Street. When I accepted Jesus Christ, He told me I was in the wrong field doing the wrong thing. I became a pastor. I mean, you know, that's that's a little bit of a change, do you think? And so I'm, I'm thankful that he did that for me because I understand what he was saying in the Scripture. Many of us have just taken Jesus as an add-on to bless us and make my life a little easier to handle rather than realizing that Jesus gives us a new life. And as we ask him to open up our eyes and as we surrender completely to him, we are surprised with what he does. We are surprised that we start doing things that really matter. 
How many of you want your life to count for something? You know God wants that for you? Do you know that God saved us to do the works He prepared in advance for us to do? So as we look at this new year, we really want to know, we want to concentrate on, I want to spend some time talking to Him and saying, Lord, what is your plan for me? What, what should I be doing? I don't want to be doing my thing. I'm not asking you to bless my life. I want to walk in the newness of life that you have for me. And I want to be doing the works that you prepared for me. We were bought at a price. Jesus paid for us. You don't belong to yourself. Turn to someone and say, you don't belong to yourself. Jesus paid for you. You're his. We have no right to just live life the way we would like. We have to ask him, what do you want? What do you want to do? How are you leading me and not just assume that things go on as usual, except I have a little extra help in my life? Jesus told us that we would have everything that we needed if we sought first his kingdom. What does that mean? Seek first his kingdom. The word for kingdom is rule or power. Seek first his rule, his power over your life, and you'll have everything that you need. Isn't that true? The times that we have really sought the Lord to do what he wants us to do, did he show up? Yes, he did. And so seek first his rule. Seek first his kingdom. Seek first what he wants, and everything else will be given to you besides. That's really neat. I, I know that from a fact God has blessed our lives so much. I really appreciate that. He's much more generous than I could ever imagine. He's much more gracious than I could ever imagine. We serve a great God. We do. So Paul tells us to make the most of every opportunity. And he gives us a reason and what's the reason? Because the days are evil. Now, Paul is talking here about spiritual opportunities, being open to the Lord's voice. Now, it may be spending time with him. Any of you ever had the Lord say, come aside for a few minutes? I want to talk to you. That will happen. Reading, meditating on his word, being available to share Jesus with a neighbor or a friend or a co-worker. You've all had that happen, right? You just know you're supposed to do it. Reaching out to someone in need. The Lord says, I want you to bless that person. Your life, everything you have, all you own is his. And you need to ask him what he wants to do with his stuff. How he wants you to use it. It's also serving in your church or community. A lot of people come to churches, and I believe this is one reason. This sounds cynical, but it's one little reason why we have such mega churches, because a lot of people want to get lost and not do anything. But the main purpose for church, the main purpose for any ministry, is to equip us to do the work. Now, it doesn't all happen in the church, but there's a lot of things that need to be done in church but to equip us to go out and serve in the community. 
We are servants. Jesus said, the greatest among you is your servants. Whoever wants to be greatest will serve others. And very often the Holy Spirit talks to us and said, I want you to serve in this way. And we say, but you don't know my schedule. And the Lord says, have you ever thought about changing it a little? You know, maybe we could work on this. And so spiritual opportunities, spending time with them, reading the word, being available to share Jesus, reaching out to someone, helping the poor and needy. What about supporting missionaries? How many of us support missionaries? We're just concerned about our little church and our thing. And, and our family is spread throughout the world. And they're going through horrible things. And they need a lot of help. And we don't even take time to sit down and pray and say, every day I'm going to take several minutes and pray for my persecuted brothers and sisters throughout the world. Now I want to ask you, would you agree that the days are evil? Yes. Do you realize that hundreds of thousands of Christians have been martyred in these recent days? I'm saying hundreds of thousands. People are herded together. They're shot, dumped in shallow graves. Women and children are being violated sexually. Children are being crucified and beheaded for not disowning Christ? Do you think the days are evil? Yes, they really are. But we can have a tendency to say, well, it's not happening here. I'll worry about it when it happens here. This is our family. These are our brothers and sisters. Does it break our heart what's going on? Does it call us to pray? God is counting on us. We're his people. He has work for us to do. There should be a sense of urgency. The days are very evil. Now, I want to talk about one of the problems that we face. Um, First of all, we know that Satan is a robber, a thief, a murderer. We know that he's active. A lot of people don't want to believe in the reality of Satan. But they say, I still believe in Santa Claus. Well, I have sad news for you on one hand and good news for you on the other. (laughs) The reality is that Satan is alive and working. Now, Satan may not be tormenting each one of us individually. I don't think I'm important enough for Satan himself to torment me. But he has, as the Bible tells us, one-third of the angels of heaven, which are myriads and myriads and myriads and myriads, fell with him and decided they wanted him to be their leader. And so these forces are working throughout the world, kind of pushing people to do the evil things that they do. And so Satan also tries to rob us of our time. Think of the opportunities that we've wasted, the time that we've wasted in sin. Any of you kind of get a grieving about that sometimes? Right? Think about the time wasted doing things that have no value whatsoever in eternity. Satan's forces try to distract us. Since he can't keep a Christian out of heaven, 
He'll make sure that the Christian doesn't accomplish anything for the kingdom of God. That's what he does. He distracts us. There's a medical doctor. His name is Richard Swenson. He wrote a book in which he discusses one of the major maladies of our time, anxiety and stress. He calls it overload. He says that people are just plain overloaded. We're overloaded with commitments. We've committed ourselves to go here, to go there, to take part in this activity, this social function. We've overloaded ourselves with things. And maybe they aren't the things God wants us to do. We've overloaded ourselves with possessions. Our closets are full. Our garages are overflowing. Many of us have gone into debt to pay for all those things that we simply must have. Now we're afraid that someone will steal them. And so we're overloaded with commitments that may not mean too much, and we're also overloaded with possessions. Do any of you sometimes get the sense, I really don't need that new thing? The money could be better available to God. It's His money. God, what do you want me to do? Do we pray about decisions? Do we ask Him, is this what you want to do? Now, again, I'm not saying, you know, God God is generous and God wants you to have things and God wants to bless you. But the Holy Spirit will help us to know when enough is enough. And we need to stop. We're crowding up our lives. We're taking up all our time. Then there's also the information overload. The author of this book, this medical doctor, said that a doctor has to read about 220 articles a month just to keep up with things in his profession. And now that the Internet is here, we hope we have it for a while longer, now that the Internet is here, there's the information superhighway. And the problem is we can't absorb it all. Do you ever feel like I've had enough? I need to stop. I need to reflect. I don't need any more information. There's so many demands on my time. There's so many good things that we could be doing. But we want to make the most of every spiritual opportunity. So what are we to do? Paul says to us, don't be foolish. Understand what the Lord's will is. Listen to the Holy Spirit. Get in tune with the Holy Spirit. And I want to ask you, what do you think God's will is for you in this new year? Have you been asking him? Are there changes that he wants you to make in your life? Do you think he wants your mind, your calendar, your closet so crowded that you don't have any time for kingdom things? Are you living God's agenda? Or is your agenda the agenda of the world? Are you spending your life trying to reach your own personal goals? Or have you come to do His will? In John 15, Jesus talks about the vine and the branches. And He says very clearly, He is the vine, we are the branches. Again, this is from Jesus' mouth, right? And so we know it's important. 
that he brought it up. He wanted us to know that. He wanted us to ponder this and make it part of our lives. I want you to open up to John 15. And I know this is kind of lengthy, verses 1 through 15. I want us to really read these verses and think about them. And I pray in advance that the Holy Spirit will convict people if there's changes that need to be made. If there aren't changes, that's fine. You know, that's between you and God. Maybe you've been great on every level. I know there's changes I need to make in my life. So I'm assuming probably everyone here has at least one little change that we could make, right? So have you opened up to John 15, verses 1 to 15? Now, as a prelude to this, I want to mention that as we read through, again, I'll be reading from the NIV version, and depending on the version that you are reading, there will be a word abide, or some verse, uh, Bible translations will have remain. Putting the Greek word for abide or remain in everyday language, Jesus is basically saying, stick like glue to me. That's what the Greek word means. Stick like glue. Don't leave me. Don't get separated. Stay a part of me. Maintain a strong closeness, a oneness with me. Make your home in me just like I make my home in you. Jesus is saying, I want an intimate relationship with you. Amen? So, we're agreed? And so keep in mind particularly the number of times that you see abide or remain. And Jesus is talking about the degree of closeness that he wants with us. He wants us to stick like glue. He wants an intimate relationship. He doesn't want us wandering back and forth and coming back to him just when we have a problem. He wants to walk with us. He wants us to make our home in him as he's made his home in us. So reading there, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit of itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, You are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown in the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples." As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. 
If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father. I have made known to you. Now, what do you think of that? What do you think of that message Jesus has brought to us today? That's his message. That's what he wants to say to us. Did you notice the number of times that remain or abide appeared there? Amen? So what does God want? He wants an intimate relationship. He doesn't want a part-time acquaintanceship. God wants my whole life, not just a part. He doesn't want bits and pieces. He paid for me. And God also wants fruitfulness. And fruitfulness only comes out of our relationship with Him. He's given us His Word, so there's really no excuse. We know what we're supposed to do. Would you agree? Would you say amen? We know what we're supposed to do, don't we? We don't need someone to tell us. We don't need to sit in church a few more years to figure out what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to do it. Actually, James says in the first chapter of his book, he who knows the right thing to do and doesn't do it sins. And we know the right thing to do. We have his word. We have no excuse. We know what we're supposed to do. He's given us the Holy Spirit to remind us what Jesus has said. We're supposed to stick like glue to the Lord And he wants us to be fruitful. Jesus wants to be Lord of my life. The word Lord means ruler. He wants to be the ruler of my life, my whole life. Not just the parts I give him. I have to seek his wisdom on everything. Spending time communicating, talking with him, listening to him. Reading his word, being sensitive to the Holy Spirit who has been given to us to give us guidance and to lead us into all truth. Now, I want to ask you this morning, are you abiding or remaining in Him? Or are you backsliding? As you look back over the year, has this been a year of great fruitfulness? Has it been a year that we've kind of gone back a little and we need to regain ground and move on? And so, backsliding, I assume most of you would be familiar with that term. Backsliding means basically taking back your consecration to the Lord. It means leaving your first love. It means coming back under the control of a self-pleasing spirit. It means living a form of religion but lacking the power. A person who's backslidden experiences a lack of spiritual enjoyment, 
a loss of interest in truly spiritual conversation, a loss of interest in conversions, searching for worldly amusement, slipping back into sins of the flesh, a loss of interest in holiness, a critical spirit, making rash judgments about other people, particularly other Christians, a lack of involvement in prayer, a lack of interest in personal study of God's Word, absence from church services for slight reasons, only attending the second service and missing the first, Loss of interest in helping the poor and the needy. A lack of an interest in missions. Cutting back on giving to the church and other offerings. A refusal to take a service role in the church or the community. The consequences of a backslidden heart are great. And most of us can relate to what I'm talking about, right? When you notice any of those evidences in your life, don't start complaining about other people. Don't start complaining about your church. Don't start complaining about your husband. Don't start complaining about everyone else. Look within and say, Lord, am I getting a backslidden heart? Because that's the evidence. The consequences of a backslidden heart are great. Remaining in a backslidden state basically breaks our fellowship with God and with other Christians. We need to examine ourselves to see if we're just talking the talk or we're walking the walk. I'll tell you what, that was pretty heavy, but I have great news for you. God is so great, God is so loving that there's a cure for backsliding. God is the God of the second chance. God is the God of the third chance. God is the God of the fourth chance. I don't have enough time to go on, but you get the... We have a chance to turn around as long as we are alive. When we're not alive, there's no more chances. If you never accepted Jesus Christ as Savior while you're still breathing, you don't have another chance. I'm not coming back as a butterfly or a a Yorkshire pup, you know. Once I die, it's over. I stand before God and face judgment. And He looks at my life and sees what I've done. But while we're still breathing, there's always another chance. Isn't that great? Are we that way with people? You can come to me for a second chance, a third chance. And when we say, no, you're out of my life. One time is enough. I can't deal with this. I don't need this. I'm so glad God isn't like us many times, right? And so God is the God of the second chance. We have a chance to turn around as long as we're alive. It's kind of good to have a sensitive heart. One problem with backsliding as we can get a seared conscience. We can have a conscience that no longer hears the Holy Spirit. If you don't listen enough, if you just say no, 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 he keeps telling you, and you say, I really don't want to, it's not time, I'm going to wait. You get a seared conscience. 
And after a while, it's hard to hear the Holy Spirit. You've grieved him. He's God. He is God. He doesn't do anything different than the Father and the Son. He's God. And so if you keep saying no to God, you can pretty soon get a seared conscience where you can't hear him anymore. It's good to have a sensitive heart. It's good that we can turn back to the Lord when our hearts become hardened or they become seared. I have a little story about our grandson, Quinn, who's four and a half years old. My son, Justin, was telling us that Quinn said to his father, Justin, does God give second chances? Now, Quinn really seems to be a spiritual person. He accepted Jesus, and they sent us a little video. It's like a little freaky, but... He was with the microphone making believe he was a preacher calling people to accept Jesus and to get baptized. And he had his little sister say, I want to be baptized. But anyway, Quinn has a really sensitive heart to the Lord. And so he said to his father, does God give second chances? And Justin said, yes, he does. Of course he does. Why are you asking me that, Quinn? And he said, well... I told mom, but I asked her to just keep it between the two of us. So Justin's thinking, what did he do? (laughs) So I said, Quinn, what did you do? You can tell dad, what did you do? He said, well, you know when last night you put Vicks on my chest and you told me not to touch it, I touched it. (laughs) Now that's a sensitive conscience, right? Most of us could care less. Oh, that wasn't a major sin. We just want to know, is that mortal? Is that venial? Depending on your church background. But sin is sin. And sin blocks fellowship to God. And sin makes us insensitive to God. And so I share that because Quinn has a very cute little sensitive spirit. Have you ever wondered why some people who served the Lord for years suddenly have gotten so enmeshed in the world again? A sinful lifestyle? How many of you know someone like that? It's a lot of people that seem to have great fervor for the Lord. And then all of a sudden, what happened? Well, what happened is they've grieved the Holy Spirit repeatedly. They wouldn't listen to Him. Again, He's God. They wouldn't listen to God. And He kept talking to them. And finally, God let them have what they wanted. Book of Romans, chapter 1, talks about that. He gave them over. You can have what you want. If you want me, I'll lead you. I'll guide you. You'll be fruitful. Your life will be meaningful. You'll stand before me someday, and I'll say, well done. You got it. You did it. And so, we have to be honest enough to admit that we're having a problem and truly desire to change. God is right there to help us. Jeremiah 3, verses 19 to 21, God says this, listen. How gladly would I treat you like sons and give you a desirable land. I thought you would call me father and not turn away from following me. But like a woman unfaithful to her husband... You have been unfaithful to me, declares the Lord. 
And God says, return, faithless people, and I will cure you of backsliding. Amen? Isn't that good news? That's what God is all about. 1 John 1 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Was this year a year of abiding in the Lord and doing His will? Or do I need to make some adjustments so that the coming year will be a year of growth and fruitfulness? Have I truly given myself to the Lord? All of me. Have I received Jesus Christ as my Savior so that I could become a new person, a new creation? Is Jesus the Lord of my life, or is he just an add-on? When I get in a bind and need some help, do I recognize the voice of the indwelling Holy Spirit? We're going to pray. Do I pray with me? I believe there may be people here that even need salvation. You keep deciding, do I want to do this? Do I not want to do this? I want to go to church, but I don't want to be a wacko like he is. You know? We need to accept Jesus Christ as Savior. If you've never done it, this is the day. Don't assume you'll have tomorrow. Don't assume you'll have next week, next year. I think I've shared with you before a story where I used to serve as a chaplain when I was a pastor. I'd serve as a chaplain in the local hospital. And he used to pray with people and, of course, ask people if they had ever accepted Jesus Christ as Savior. There's no way to get to heaven. There's no way to have a victorious life here unless you know Jesus and have him living inside of you. And there was a man, he was, uh, well, there was a woman, actually. She was in her late 80s. And they told me she was really pretty bad. They didn't know if she'd make it through the next couple of days. I thought, good, I need to talk to her about the Lord and about salvation. So I went in there and I talked to her for a little bit and I said, have you ever accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior? She said, no, I never really have. I said, well, why not? She said, oh, I'm still thinking about it. I haven't made my final decision. You could have blown me away. I couldn't believe that. So most of us think at some glorious time in the future we're going to make that decision. How do you know that God will give you the grace? No one can come to Jesus unless the Father draws him. And the Bible says today's the day. If you're hearing his voice, today's your day. You may not have another chance. We all assume it's all up to us. No, it's not up to us. It's up to God. He's the one directing everything. And so there may be people here, I'm not going to assume everyone has accepted Jesus Christ as Savior, but if you haven't, today's your day. Congratulations. Today's your birthday. Today you're going to become a new creation. Today you're going to be born again. The old problems are going to go. You're going to be a new person. And there's people here today
There's people here today that God wants you to rededicate your life to Him. Not for me, for you, for Him. So I want to pray. And I want you not to be ashamed if you need to stand up and raise up your hands to the Lord and say, I surrender. You want to come down front? Whatever. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I've spoken your word to the best of my ability. And God, you know if there's people here that have never accepted Jesus Christ as Savior. And I ask you, Lord, to give them the courage right now to not care what someone might think, only to care what you think. And Lord, there's people here that need to rededicate their lives to you. They need to make some changes. They become aware maybe they're a little backslidden. And they need your cure. I want you to stand up if God's speaking to you. Not me. It's God speaking to your heart. Just stand up and surrender to Him. If you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, I just implore you to do it today. Today is your day. Amen? Thank you, Lord. Father, I just thank you. I ask you to move. In Jesus' mighty name.